0: Like you do. Welcome to Lawyers or Assholes. I'm your host, Brett Adams, a lawyer, I should say a recovering lawyer, who found a platform to address a broken legal system. This is where we call out incompetent and unscrupulous lawyers, prosecutors, and judges. Anyone that touches the legal system, we're coming after you if you're an asshole. Today, our guest is Joey Hendrickson. Joey's an accomplished musician, founded the Columbus, Ohio Songwriters Group, and is incredibly well respected for all he's done to advance the music scene in his community. So why would a young and well-respected musician like Joey be on the Lawyers for Assholes podcast? Well, a few months ago, he was arrested and prosecuted, or I should say persecuted, under the most archaic of laws and most ridiculous set of facts you can imagine. One couldn't even make up the story he's about to tell you. But before we get to Joey, let's start with our Assholes of the Week. Now, we are nonpartisan here because you can be an asshole as a Democrat or Republican or Independent. But what is the deal with these state prosecutors in New York and Georgia doing press releases and press conferences talking about the evidence or grand juries regarding the former president? Whether you hate him or love him, you either charge the guy or you send him a letter exculpating him. Don't taint juries or put anyone through the ringer if you're not going to charge him. No prosecutor should be on television talking about potential prosecution unless they're simply using the press to enhance their own personal interest. Remember, most of your local prosecutors are truly politicians, not lawyers who earn their positions through hard work and intellect. You only see them in high-profile cases in most instances and never lead counsel in the case. Just do your job and don't make a spectacle of the process. Folks, this could happen to you and me. Keep the prosecutors out of the press as the system is already slanted to the prosecution. New York and Georgia State prosecutors investigating the former president, you are political opportunists and are assholes. Asshole number two today is Julie Lynch of the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas in Columbus, Ohio. The lowest rated judge by far in the most recent attorney poll ratings. A judge known only for grandstanding for the TV cameras and disrespected by all the real lawyers in my orbit. This judge is changing political parties so the former Republican can get elected as a Democrat in a Democratic county. She says she can no longer recognize her party, but I'm curious why she decided to wait until election year to suddenly find her political soul. Just stand up and tell the truth. You can't win if people in this particular county believe you're a Republican. Again, I don't care if my judge is a Democrat or Republican, but I do want a judge to be honest, and there's no honesty in this pronouncement. Plus, I'm tired of only hearing about this judge when she calls in the TV cameras when she wants to rant on a criminal defendant for her own personal benefit. You, Miss Lynch, are not worthy of the title of a judge and are an asshole. Welcome, welcome, Joey Hendrickson to Lawyers Are Assholes. Appreciate you calling in, uh, Joey. Usually, usually we get people in the studio, but uh, you're gonna. Uh, when I let you talk, you're going to explain where you're at and, and how jealous we're all going to get. But anyway, I wanted to tell everybody um, how I know Joey and, and who Joey is and what he's done, but, but we've known each other now, Joey, for about 10 years, and I have watched you create the Columbus Music Commission, the Columbus Songwriters Group. Uh, mover and shaker in Columbus, Ohio in the music scene and and just incredibly impressed with what you've accomplished and where you're at in your career at this point. And then uh, a few months ago, I see you in the newspaper and talk to you for a little while and I read this story and I go, this cannot be happening. This This cannot be happening. This story that I'm reading cannot be real. This doesn't happen in 2022. So I reached out to you and and then got the scoop and then followed this to the conclusion. And this does actually have a happy ending, um, although you're not going to believe it in telling the story. So, so Joey, introduce yourself and, and take us through what happened here.
1: Thanks, Fred. Yeah, I mean, it's been many years of uh, knowing each other, and I saw you take some of the biggest leaps I've ever seen someone in Columbus try to take with, with launching a— major festival from the ground up and then serving artists locally, uh, regionally and nationally. But it was, it was cool to see you throw uh, the football the way that you did and, and score some touchdowns and, and hail Mary at a round. And, and, you know, in the process, you know, we have this, this system inside of Columbus, Ohio, that kind of looks to either support or contain us. And it's, it's kind of been a fascinating journey for me over the last 10 years, you know, really giving a a huge amount of my personal energy to music and, and serving artists, um, you know, while also working in, uh, technology and innovation roles for, for companies and firms, you know, it's my heart, my passion has been making the artists succeed, helping them succeed, getting them paid and finding different ways and constructs to do that, um, that benefit the city and and also the state of Ohio. So, so when I, when I got done with, um, the Columbus music commission project. We, we had gotten it launched. We established leadership. I went off and consulted for a couple of years. And then I came back to Columbus with an idea of, um, you know, my neighbor was moving out downstairs. Um, there's only two apartments in the apartment building downtown. I decided to pick up his apartment and I was walking around the living room and realized that there's a, there's a spot in the living room that would be perfect to just have a small platform and have an artist perform. And, um, We'd we'd have our friends from the Songwriters Association come out and, and listen to artists and 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 so I started creating this thing in two thousand nineteen and we did about uh, thirty different concerts that were super communal and close. It almost felt like a, a Sunday service where friends would come out and support artists and we just, just we just share really good energy with good people.
0: And you called it you and, called uh, it you called it the parlor. Uh, right, Joey? And you created uh, very limited space, but you, you basically had some couches in your living room, right? I mean, I want people to understand exactly how innocent yeah. innocent this whole uh, project was.
1: Well, and happy to share some photos with you. I mean, yeah, we, I didn't really have any other purpose for the apartment except, um, you know, I, I I realized it would be a perfect house concert space, and so I got it certified with Folk Alliance International, which is a national organization that certifies house concerts and protects them from any type of issues with performing rights organizations. Basically makes them legal to, to, to do what we do culturally. And, um, so after getting that certification, yeah, I mean, I went to Ikea and went across town and found different, um, sort of like, uh, tufted furniture to put in and we kind of themed it around like a 1930s feel. Um, and yeah, there's four couches it seats, about 30 people. And, um, it's all, it's all facing a, a little corner stage that, um, my, my friend uh, who's, a, who's a carpenter, he just kind of put together and put it in the corner of the room and behind it, there's a, there's a guy that was doing the sandwich boards for a restaurant down the street, a little taco place, but he had never done a mural before. So we painted the wall black and put a mural up above the stage. And it, it's a, it's a, androgynous skeleton type, you know, you don't know if it's a male or a female, but such skeleton is playing a trumpet. And so it just kind of has this, you know, anybody and everybody's welcome kind of, kind of feel to it. And we call it the parlor.
0: Joe, you weren't doing this to, to, to make money and you certainly weren't selling alcohol and making a profit.
1: Yeah, that's, that's correct. You know, while we kept the, we kept the place sustainable through donations, um, our goal was just to serve as many artists as we possibly could. And, you know, we'd have a touring artist who'd play the harp, you know, come in from New York city and sleep in the apartment and play the show. And so it made the whole thing very sustainable to just, to just dip into the arts and just get to know artists around the country, but also artists locally. And so,
0: and if somebody wanted to bring that, it was BYOB, right? So, so if somebody wanted to bring a six pack in, they could, they could come in and, and watch the show and, and have a beer.
1: That's right. And so the entire thing was BYOB. And, you know, after doing about 30 shows the first year in 2019 and then 2020, the pandemic hit. So we, we turned it off for a while. Um, but the, the artists were struggling so much during the pandemic that any time that they would allow us to do an event that was, you know, 30 people or less, we would take advantage of that opportunity from the state and we bring people together and have a masked, socially distanced environment, maybe 15, 20 people in the room, but people were able to support artists directly that were trying to feed their kids. Right. And so we kept it going, helping these full-time artists to kind of keep the gigs and, um, and through donations, we supported them. Now I, I think this got I think, I think what happened here, Brett is, when everything died down culturally in the city, um, nobody was going outside. Nobody was doing anything. You know, we were still, we had our email list going and sometimes we'd do these little, these little tiny gatherings. And I think that that's one of the things that might've got the state looking at us and saying, you know, why are 20 people, you know, getting together in an apartment, um, and you know, what's going on here. Um, so it was an, it was easy to almost pick us out of the crowd at one point. I think.
0: So you're doing you're doing the concert. You're making no money. You're helping artists. You're doing this is completely altruistic. You bring a beer. Uh, you're not charging for the liquor. Everything is. I mean, this is really a good thing you're doing for the community. And then the liquor state liquor commission for Ohio gets involved. Tell the listeners what happened. I mean, the guy coming in the door and explain what happened.
1: So. So we had these, um, we had a night with, it was like a blues night. And I remember there was a guy sitting in the front row, uh, you know, on a couch and he started taking pictures of me and I, I thought he was just a fan. I didn't understand what was going on because, you know, it, for me, it's usually only friends that come. I know everybody in the whole room. And occasionally somebody will bring their friend and say, is it okay? And, you know, our you know, we, we usually, we're like, okay, you know, if you want to bring a friend with you, that's fine. You know, just, we want to get to know him. And so um, this guy in the front, I thought he was a friend of a friend. He started taking pictures of me when I was kind of introducing everybody to the, the artist that was about to perform and, and um, share music with us. And I thought that's kind of strange, this guy taking pictures of me, but I didn't think anything of it. And so here I am, you know, I, my 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 friend is there and they say you know they brought their own beer but they they saw that there was a, a North high brewing beer in the fridge they wanted to try it it's a new seasonal brew and I was like, yeah my, my buddy just dropped off some North high brewing you can you know and so I pass a beer to my friend and there's no money exchange there's nothing like that but while I'm in the act of passing the beer you know from my fridge to the hand of my friend, this guy in the front row is taking a picture of me. And so, you know, we, we continue down the road here and, you know, we do another event that's a Christian group. They come in, they're a folk uh, Christian group uh, sharing some, some Ohio folk music with us, him and his wife. Uh, You know, they'd gotten a babysitter for the kids and they came over and shared music with us. And uh, I noticed, again, there's a couple in the corner that is kind of taking pictures a little bit more like aggressively than others. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, we had 12 people there for that Christian group. You know, it's a very socially distanced night. Everything's cool. Everything's chill. And then you give it two days and I've got seven, seven guys banging on my door downstairs while I'm upstairs cooking some food. I'm literally just making dinner. And, uh, yeah, seven huge cops, SWAT style, are trying to break into the apartment. I, I thought it was an artist who left his guitar behind or something, you know, and he was freaking out trying to get in. And seven guys come in, you know, they put their hand over the hallway camera that's there to, you know, for security purposes for the building. And, uh, you know, they, they walk all the way upstairs into my apartment and they, they say they wanna, you know, they have, a, they have a warrant to search my whole building or not my whole building, but they said they had a warrant to search downstairs. And I said, you can search my whole building, like if you want search everything. Like, I'm just making dinner. Can I take the chicken out of the oven, you know?
0: And they didn't identify themselves or what they were there searching for at at that point?
1: Um, It's pretty clear that they were police of some sort. And then for me, kind of being naive to the situation, I was just kind of like, you know, I had my shirt off literally while cooking food. (laughs) And I'm like, can I put a shirt on and (laughs) take my salmon out of the oven? It was salmon, it wasn't chicken. Can I take my salmon out of the oven? I'm just like finishing dinner here. like, And you know they handed me a docket of papers and it looked like they had a search warrant and you know they looked like they were cops and i was like okay you know do whatever you want to do we have a we have a house concert space downstairs that's certified with a national organization and you know everybody but at this know, point you still knows, you don't know
0: why they're there i mean they, you have no idea why they're there at that point you're still in shock that they're in your house
1: yeah i'm in shock and also there's an artist that that was sleeping downstairs from Nashville Tennessee and And he's a, he's a, you know, a a black American soulful uh, sax player. And so I'm kind of concerned about seven cops going in to the apartment while he's sleeping downstairs. But nevertheless, you know, they have a search warrant. They're going to do what they have to do. And luckily my friend, um, he was out while they were in there, but he came back while they were in the place and he, he almost fainted. Like he was just shocked. And so, so they're, they're going around the place and they're literally just, pulling some cans of beer out of the fridge and putting them in a, a box is quote unquote evidence. And it's, you know, it's, it's just local craft beer. You know, my friend has, uh, you know, brewed some craft beer here and there. We have some stuff we got from the store. Uh, you know, his stuff is also in the store. So it was, there was, there was no moonshine. There was no drugs. There was nothing. It was just, some beer in the fridge, man.
0: <laughs> so, so at, at that point, I mean, after they collect this, did they did they say you're under arrest? Or did they give you did they give you a summons, or what did they do? What, what did they tell you at that point?
1: Well, so while while four of them are in the in the place, you know, putting stuff in the, you know, like counting like counting out beers, you know, twenty something, thirty something, I don't remember the exact number, but they're counting out some beer. The other two or three were like, you know, going around the building, you know, looking for anything else that might be suspicious or whatever, and and I'm just like, all right, I'm, while you guys are in here, I'm calling my attorney friend that I know who's downstairs, who's come to our house concerts. And he's a really cool, he's a really cool guy who's, you know, supports the Grateful Dead and comes out to the house concerts. He likes the community of it. And so, you know, Dan, Dan Allen comes upstairs and he's there to kind of explain to me what's going on uh, so that I, you know, would be my best in the situation too. So, so Dan, literally, I called Dan, and he has an office downstairs. He's there in, like, I don't know. It could have been a minute 45. You know, he's up the stairs. And, um, you know, he's in the room with me. Uh, he's asking the police why they're there. He's, you know, he, he, he's explaining to me what the documents mean. I'm checking them out. I signed the documents. And I'm also, I'm also telling the police, you know, hey, by the way, <laughs> from my understanding, we have done nothing wrong. And I'm happy to sign your search warrant documents that say that you were here, but you know, we've had we've had city council members here. We've had, you know, um, some of the some of the top executives from from companies here. We've had artists here. This is multicultural, multi-religion. This is, you know, we're in the paper already. You could have looked at our newspaper article from 2019 when the tourism department was talking about us. You know, it's not like this has been a secret. Like, like right. this is, we've got grants from the Arts Council. We've, you know, this is, you know, I don't know, I don't know what you guys are doing or why you're doing it. Like, the So did they, state, did, they ch- did they
0: charge you at that point, Jar, or did or did they take this evidence and then come back and charge you? What was the sequence?
1: I think that they had already pre-charged me before even Searching. I don't know actually how that Law and Order works. Well, did Not they hand correct. you?
0: Did did they hand you a summons and say be in court such and such date?
1: I, the papers had had outlined what the actual um, laws that they said. Yeah, the charges that they that they were saying that we had violated or I had violated. Okay. So it was keeper up a space in illegal sales of alcohol is what they said, and so I, I signed off that I had received those charges. I guess. Okay. And then. The court date, I did not receive a court date at that point yet. Okay, so they, didn't,
0: so they didn't handcuff you and take you to jail because they were giving you a summons, right? Correct. Okay, well, I, I guess I guess that was nice of them considering, I mean, seven, I, I still can't believe that we waste that kind of resources to come in somebody's house if they already had the evidence that you had beer in, during these events. Why in the world, why would they send seven people to come to your house to collect a couple of beers. I mean, that just, that's insane. That's insane.
1: It was weird. And it was state. It was some sort of state investigatory unit led by a guy named Eric Wolf. I later found out, but it was weird because at the same time that they were in my house concerts in February of 2021, uh, there was, there was people from their investigatory unit in the state that were moving fentanyl from Mexico into Ohio, who later got charged. Like four of the same, from the same division, four of the same police officers that were moving fentanyl were charged. While they were at the same time, their guys were in my house concerts, <laughs> looking, uh, enjoying the Blues Night. <laughs> right,
0: right. right. Now, so now, so what did you do? So at this point, so you you get you get the summons. You you find a lawyer and you go and you plead. You plead not guilty, and then you deal with uh, a prosecutor. Please tell the listeners about your, your prosecution experience um, with this initial touching of the court system.
1: So, so what happened was the same attorney who came into my apartment, Dan Allen, super nice guy, he offered to represent me in, in court in the situation, but however, he's not a criminal defense attorney. So he went with me to the court date, pled not guilty, and then I passed the case over to a criminal defense attorney that was recommended to me um, at at least, yeah. I mean, I got a, yeah, I got a recommendation. Okay, okay. So so then criminal defense attorney, you know, we, he goes to the pre-trials and he looks at the situation. He's like, this is the weirdest situation I've ever seen. You know, I've never, I've never seen anything like this, but I'd be really surprised if this doesn't get dropped. And so he goes to represent me and during the pre-trials, the the criminal uh, the criminal attorney on their side of the state of Ohio doesn't drop the case, and so we go back and back and we go three times to pre-trials over the course of I don't know about four or five months. We have three different pre-trials here, and we keep talking to the attorney, and they are just not willing to back down on these, you know, four first-degree misdemeanor charges, which is like. You know, two thousand dollars fine, thats one hundred and eighty days in jail, and it's the closest thing to a felony you can get. Right. You know, right. um, it's an
0: M one. It's an M one misdemeanor. But, but Joey, did this was a young prosecutor? Did did you ask? Why are you trying to hold this over my head? Four four misdemeanors? Are you are you kidding me? I was unaware of this. This was this was an innocent act. There was no intent here. I mean, Joey, I. I I uh, I had multiple liquor lies. I didn't know this existed, and I, I don't think the the common person w- would have any idea this existed. I mean, how many political fundraisers have I gone to where I, you're, I'm at a house party and you know the, you get all the free liquor that y- you want to get? I mean, and and this yeah. is illegal in Ohio in the state of Ohio. This is I, illegal because our liquor control agents have nothing better to do. Apparently,
1: yeah. I mean, I'm I'm during this four months I'm trying to you know it's kind of like a bee sting that like lasts for like four months, just vibrates your system, it vibrates your body. Like I'm, I'm four months in this situation, just kind of trusting that it'll get taken care of to an extent, but also every day feeling like this, almost like this abusive kind of feeling like over me, like my nervous system's kind of acting up. You know, I'm, I don't trust people right now. I don't, you know, I'm kind of feeling, especially after 10 years of giving back to the music scene and, uh, you know, s- supporting over like several million, million dollars of impact to artists in the last 10 years. And, and I'm just kind of like, I don't understand why this is happening. And then I also, I also was looking at it from a logic sense and I'm like, I could not count on, there was not a single time that I ever exchanged money for alcohol. Never. But you told, but you told
0: Joe, you told this prosecutor, you and your lawyer, you had this discussion. What did the prosecutor say in return when you said, Hey, this, there was no intent here. Was it, I I don't care. I don't care. I'm representing the liquor commission and, and I'm afraid of them. And if I don't prosecute you, I'm going to lose my job. I mean, was there any, I mean, what, what did they say? Do you remember what that prosecutor said? I'm curious as to how, how they could justify this prosecution.
1: Well, so our attorney was going to her and, and trying every angle of logic to help her understand what we were doing. And he was, he was referencing examples like, you know, there are college frat parties where you, you pay dues to a fraternity and you drink for free And you know there are there are weddings in people's homes where you you pay you know you 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 give the bride a gift and in exchange they have open bar, and so there was every angle of this that was trying to be explained to the prosecutor. The prosecutor was saying that uh, because of you know we we have basically I I have a decently large community of friends in Columbus after being there for ten years and. You know, there are probably twenty five hundred people who had come out to our house concerts to support artists over the course of a few years. And so they were saying that they had enough evidence that promotionally on the side that of our email list and the private Facebook page we maintained that this was something that was violating the law because of the promotional use cases of the situation. But we still go back to the fraternity that has all these members and we still go back to all the weddings. That are being produced in homes that are inviting, you know, they're sending out invitations via snail mail, via email, via Facebook to their friends, and it's political fundraisers as well. Being, you know, you have large camps of people that are being promoted to these events. So but she was holding on to a, an evidence that promotionally we had we had basically created a house concert that was on steroids.
0: Okay, so she was so she was just follow, completely following the letter of the law. No discretion. No, no, I'm not going to go to my boss. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to talk to anybody about this. Uh, y- you did this, so you're screwed. Which I've seen my entire career. But that was that was the logic, right?
1: Yeah, and and when she was when it got to the point, Brett, where I realized that we're probably going to have to go to trial. I mean, that's when I was just like, okay. I mean. I, I, there was this, there was, I was chill for four months and then I started responding. I started being like, okay, if we're going to go to trial, then I'm going to start preparing for this. And I started reaching out to our community who had, you know, a who had come up to these house concerts and I was like, all right, let's write letters. Let's prepare testimony. Let's, you know, I'd like to figure out who wants to come and testify in trial. Please sign up here, you know?
0: But you also went to like, city council, right? You, you actually took this case to city council.
1: Well, that was the, I was embarrassed by the whole situation, Brett. So I hesitated on going to a a city council meeting, but there was a point where I, I crossed the threshold with this, like, because I was talking to a few of my friends that were like, Joey, this is absolutely ridiculous. And, and so they, because of those conversations and because of the, really the support of the community around me saying, this never should have happened to you. This, this shouldn't happen to us. Like there's nothing wrong done. The fire of the, 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 the friends around me led me to realize that I need to go talk to the guys that, you know, the city council members who had actually attended our house concerts and say, we're in this situation and you were there and you were there and you were there, yeah you know? Yeah. And so I, I found out that you can, if, if something is a pretty large grievance, like there is the ability in Columbus, Ohio to go to basically an open mic, you know, you get, five minutes to speak in front of council and you can write down or prepare your statement and then you can tell city council what's going on and address a community issue. And so and for the first time in my life, I, I went down to city council and I had 20 friends with me and they represented about a hundred thousand people collectively through their, their bands and their, you know, Instagram followers and, you know, their, their, their friends and their groups. And the 20 of us went down there, sat, and I went up on the mic and I I told Shannon Hardin, President and Councils, you know Shannon Hardin and um, the rest of the council. I said, you know, here's what happened and here's what's going on and and we're going to advocate for some change around this. If you don't, we will. But I expect that you will too because you understand the value of the creative economy in our city and you you understand that times have evolved and during the pandemic we need to support those who can't feed their kids and you know we're trying to help our, our musician friends not lose their homes, and that's why we're collecting donations. Okay, here's, so, a que- here's a here's a question that-
0: I question oh. I have for you, Joey. And I and I think I know the answer. My guess is that none of them reached out to Zach Klein, the city attorney, or made any effort to deal with your criminal case. I mean, is that is that a correct assumption?
1: You know, I I don't understand the inner workings of city council to know how quickly people receive information about what goes on in those meetings, but. I do know that at the first council meeting, uh, the city attorney, Zach Klein, actually presented on the on video. And so he kind of satellited in. And so I'm not sure if he satellited in and then was present in that meeting and he heard my testimony or um, or if he was ever actually aware of it. But I went back a second time because it seemed like very little had been accomplished the first time. And the second time that I went, it was clear that they were very busy in council. They had lots of things that they were doing. And the, there was a big homeless uh, funding initiative that was happening. There was lots and lots of moving parts. And there was one council member who, who came around and said, I will sponsor this. You know, I've I worked with uh, um, the public fire and police for, you know, championing, championing them for the last 20 years. And um, council member Brown, that is, and he, he, he was actually approaching his retirement that year, but he, he got one of his legislative aides to begin to look into the policy around house concerts and where that existed or didn't exist, where the definitions were or weren't. And um, through this legislative aid uh, and support to the council member Brown, um, his name is Grant Ames, we started dissecting and looking into any of the policy that might exist for home-based gatherings And he was coming up with a lot of, this is a super, super gray area, and we have no real policy for this.
0: But Joey, none of this impacted your your pending four cases, though, right? I mean, ultimately, you went down, and because you didn't want to, appropriately, didn't want to spend five grand that it would take to try this case, you pled to something that you didn't even want to plead to, but you did it for uh, what most people do these cases for. They can't afford to
1: litigate. Well, and so here, my situation was, we were up against case law. So if they had indicted me for these charges, they could go into every single punk house on OSU campus and every single little cultural place of peace in Columbus and storm through the doors and serve them. And so I was really, really out of it on, I, I mean, at this point, it was, my case was one thing, but... I looked at the 400 other house concerts that were happening across the city, and I realized that if they had collected donations and were drinking beer, they would get the same charges that I was getting. So essentially,
0: you took took one for the team here. You you took one for the team.
1: Well, so, so what happened was, I started initially working with Grant to create local policy so that case law couldn't happen. So that definitions were in place so that people could follow the definitions. But the definitions didn't exist and the city needed the definitions from the state so that they wouldn't get sued from the state by having a different set of definitions than the state's laws. And so this was a really disorganized policy area where they didn't know how to align to the state and the state weren't giving them clear um, direction on how they could write policy. And so we realized that we needed to basically change the keeper of a place law to have clearer definitions so that cities around Ohio could actually create local policy that allows their house concert providers to, to create events that, you know, home-based events or gatherings that align to the state's laws. And so it was a giant knot to untie. And so I began this work and it became part of my, my confidence to advocate in the press about the situation. And when we advocated in the press, I found that 99% of my friends and the people you know around me were supportive of the situation saying, you're right. We do need policy for house concerts that, keeps us legal. And we do need the state to, you know, make those definitions clear. And we do need the city to basically, you know, align to those state policies in the most liberal of way so we can do what we want to do in our homes. And, and so after the, the community agreed and kind of backed me, that's when I reached out to the state rep, Kristen Boggs, and I explained to her the situation. And I said, you know, political fundraisers and homes are violating the law all the time, but because we had a guitar strapped around our shoulders, you know, we got looked like, you know, the criminals. You know, we're the criminals because we have we have a piano in front of us or a guitar over our, our shoulders, and the politicians aren't getting slammed with this. We are right. So, so you,
0: they've drafted a bill. You sent that bill to me to change the law. I mean, you you are single handedly responsible for changing this or about to change this archaic, ridiculous, stupid law, and it looks like that's going to pass, right?
1: So. It's going to be it's introduced and it's co-sponsored, which now it just means the communities that get around it and and support it in that next level of advocacy so that it's passed. But because of the fact, Brett, because this bill was written by a state rep and being planned to introduce to the House, the prosecutor, when that was shared with her, this young prosecutor said, "Okay, we won't go to trial and we'll offer you a plea.
0: So you you basically you created Joe. You created your own leverage, which is again outrageous that you had to do it. The case should have never been prosecuted as soon as she saw the facts, and that you weren't doing this intentionally. She should have dismissed the damn charges. But that was your leverage. What did you plead to? What was the ultimate plea?
1: So I had to plead to a uh, disorderly conduct.
0: Well, that's you, Joe. You're a troublemaker, man.
1: <laughs> so, so it ended up being a you know, a fine and, um, a three years of probation that I cannot, you know, sell alcohol illegally, three which is year- no problem because we have
0: three years, three years probation on a
1: disorderly. You're kidding me. Yeah. Who was the judge? Nope. Who- so this was initially judge Skinner and I don't know. They, there was a different judge in the courtroom at the time, but, um, uh, he actually looked at me and he said, I'm glad you didn't go to trial. This was, w- would have been a waste of my time. And I'm thinking I just wasted eight months trying to untie all these knots that the legal system has to try to support the city and the state to do something right. And trial for three days would have been a- another waste of time. Sure. But also my nine months of time to try- trying to untie this was a waste of time. But nevertheless, I, I think what we're going to end up with Brett, is some sort of interesting environment where, we're now regulating what people do in their homes, and then in the next level format, um, with clear definitions. Just because the state police came out and were extremely aggressive around house concerts,
0: it's 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 outrageous. This law is uh, it's not passed yet. So if you come to Ohio, be prepared. If you go if you go uh, to a political fundraiser or a house party or your, your your neighbor's party and you got a little bit of music and you take donations, uh, get prepared for the the brown shirts to come in and, and, uh, and search, I, I, it's just inconceivable. I just, I still, I can't understand it, Joe. You know, I've known about this, I mean, since we talked about you doing the podcast. I, I just can't believe this happened. I can't believe it happened.
1: It's pretty wild. but But I'm excited about this bill because the bill actually says, if passed, you can have up to five events in your home where you actually sell alcohol for a beneficial cause related purpose. So if this bill is passed, it actually liberalizes what you can do inside your home. And it creates a, a way bigger opportunity for people to actually support artists or support homelessness or support the causes that they believe in. And it's spelled out in the law that you can do it if it passes. And I don't know if police will be at those front doors counting how many events that they have in their homes. You know, I think that would be a borderline harassment. So this law really gets us to a place where if I could have five events in my home and, and contribute to my community, I, I, it could be incredibly impactful for all the homes in upper Arlington and Bexley and downtown and Hilliard and Worthington, Westerville. Imagine 5% of people that live in these communities, having five events that benefit artists, or benefit uh, the next the next level cause right. the cancer. I mean the, the the amount of money that could be raised to support community could be millions and millions of dollars through this through this one law.
0: Well, it's incredible, but but look at the sacrifice you had to make to get it here. I mean, here here's the other uh, another thought, Joey. and I. Somebody turned you in. I mean, somebody somebody, and again, um, I had a mentor tell me early on when I. Couple of TV things I did, and it was like, listen, success brings contempt. People are going to come after you now, and you get any any sort of notoriety, or publicity. People are going to always nipping at your your heels to to come after you. And Joey, that had to happen here. I mean, somebody somebody had to call the liquor commission that just had a burr up their ass and and know what the law was. Because normal people and talk to you, liquor. Normal people would have said, if this was happening, then. Uh, we're going to send him a cease and desist. We're going to we're going to find him and tell him y- you can't do this. They didn't do that, you know. They the money they sent for misdemeanors to to go to your place twice, set you up, um, take those photos, and then and then uh, to send all those guys in. It had to be it it had to be a setup. I mean somebody uh, somebody yeah. somebody called in and and uh, you need to find that person, Joey.
1: Well, it's interesting. I I think that person already sort of identified themselves because I I told you earlier, it was 99% of people in my community, in my world, my friend group supported me. There was one attorney who didn't. And that attorney is also connected to a nonprofit organization that I know that there's one guy in that nonprofit that doesn't like me um, because I didn't like how he became the executive director of that organization. He was buying people off. And I I called him out on it. I whistleblowed. Well, and that, sounds,
0: that sounds well. That sounds logical if an attorney was involved because who? I mean, unless you did liquor law, I I don't know that any of my attorney friends would would know what this I mean, know that you couldn't do this house party and be in violation of of liquor control.
1: Yeah, and this this attorney specifically said that keeper of a place law was a law he loved to use on people when he was an attorney, and the, you know, and represent Columbus. And so when he singled himself out like that in front of me, I realized that, you know, and, and he was basically telling me, you know, you got to do your time. It, it, really showed me that that was probably, uh, yeah, he singled himself out in the situation and I, I immediately disconnected from him and realized that he was the only single person throughout the entire nine months who had spoken that way to me as, as sort of, uh, coming down on me. He was the only single person. And, um, it, it's tough because, you know, you have close friends that you think you're friends and you know it, it, it's a huge violation of my trust you know when 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 I hear those voices and, and see those people kind of sing themselves out but then I, I don't want to deal with reality Brett that we have we have people who are close friends that would literally like try to throw us into the police just because of something that something some sort of interpersonal conflict they were too afraid to talk yeah. about or something
0: well that's reality. I'm not sure with them that's reality Joey success, yeah. success breeds contempt it happens every day, um, and and I think you were, I think you were a victim of it. But but man, this this what what you've done in changing this law, and if this bill gets passed to to turn uh, such a, a bullshit experience into what what you've accomplished is it, it's it's really it's incredible, man. I I, I salute you for uh, turning this negativity. Because I talked to you when you were down, and you didn't have the the same attitude. As you do right now, brother?
1: That's true, man. And you also sent to me, you sent me um, a few a few really amazing people who I had conversations with who were on the legal side who showed me that the majority of attorneys actually think the same on this situation. and you know I got seven or eight validating voices from attorneys that are that have dealt with liquor law and they said, this is ridiculous and And that that it ended up itself gave me the confidence to kind of see between the lines and read between the lines and realize kind of who was singling themselves out as trying to you know come down on the law versus who was actually an attorney that was that was kind of logical in their pursuit of of what should exist and what shouldn't exist in society and it helped me separate things and see things clearly I, and I really appreciate your involvement
0: well i I really appreciate you coming and telling the story I think people need to need to know this and, and hear about it. But we were a couple seconds behind, so I didn't interrupt you every single time, but why don't you tell everybody, where, where are you calling me from?
1: So yeah, after all this, I mean, I, I looked around, I mean, we, we ended up having, a after I, I, I took the plea deal, we ended up having a few house concerts and starting to raise money to advocate for this law change. And I realized that there's somebody out there that's still salivating to try to, you know, to try to knock off our house concerts or try to catch me on a sort of a, you know, a a technicality. And so I realized that once we get this bill passed is when, you know, I'll be basically safe to resume the house concerts. And, and so that door felt like it was closing and, and relationally the trust issues and the violations, uh, you know, with, with a close friend, I think that door also closed for me. And around me in Columbus, I just, I looked at the system. I looked at the society, the cold weather, and I realized that the, actually the, the best work that I can be doing for artists right now is to support them in digital means. And then also, um, there's a company in San Francisco that backed me to create events all around the world right now. So I'm, I'm actually in Bogota. I'm in a, there's a, it's an amazing place. If you speak Spanish, especially the whole world opens up to you here. And, um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm actually going around South America and kind of, producing events with artists here and um just taking some time away from columbus to see things from a bird's eye view and decide if that's really the place i'm going to invest the next 10 years of my life in
0: well i'm, I'm envious of where you're at and i and certainly can understand why after what you went through would would take that that break but uh i i really appreciate you telling the story appreciate you coming on follow this bill to the end uh joe and get it done
1: I appreciate it, man. I will. And if anybody out there is interested in supporting that bill, um, Brett, I'm sure that there's a way that... Uh, we'll, we'll, put it can we'll put it on the show notes. Joy. We'll put it
0: on the show notes, Joey. I'll get with you. We'll get some information here and make that happen, okay?
1: Wonderful. All right.
0: Get back out <laughs> in the sun. You, get back out in the sun.
1: <laughs> okay. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks. So thanks to Joey Hendrickson uh, calling in from Bogota. He had sent me some some uh, pictures, which I can't discuss in, in Brett's rant, but let me just say this. He's, uh, he's having a good time. He's having a good time down there. But this is the reason that I did this podcast. I mean, when you, when you look at a guy, I mean, this guy, he is a good human being, doing good things, unaware of this law. And when you got seven, I mean, how many, how many liquor agents does it take to come in and confiscate a few beers? And if they had the photo evidence before— um, wouldn't that have been enough to prosecute? I mean, why, why were they trying to build this tremendous case? And then, and then here we go to the problem of having a young prosecutor. Um, uh, Joe had told me uh, off audio um, that he thought the prosecutor was 22, 23 years. Old. Well, probably uh, 25 if she went through law school. But nevertheless, a prosecutor that probably didn't have the experience to look at this thing objectively— had that prosecutorial mentality of um, you know i 'm going to get this guy, and some of it may have had to do with joey and and out there with the media, and they probably became aware of you know he 's getting some public support that that this is uh, this is really stupid, this is just an unfair prosecution and he had mentioned Zach Klein, the city attorney I, I think Zach 's a good guy, and my guess is he was, he probably wasn 't aware of it I mean he does his little report at city council, but he probably wasn 't aware that this was happening because I just can't believe logically that that he would prosecute this because folks, prosecutors have discretion. They have prosecutorial discretion. And if you if you came in and I mean to try to nail him with four four misdemeanors, to to have multiple pretrials, the 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 but this is stressful to people. This is stressful. And I know Joey had a tremendous amount of stress related to this and it's and it's unnecessary because one, the case shouldn't have been prosecuted. And two, it should have been dismissed um, as soon as the prosecutor realized what the facts are. And again, kudos to Joey for Joey uh, for turning this into an incredible positive um, by getting this bill passed. But it's just another example of the of the of the system gone awry because there's there's no logic to this, and there's no sense to this, and and maybe maybe we'll get a couple of people at the liquor commission to hear this podcast and. Because I can't, I, I don't know how you justify what what they did, and who'd want that job anyway? Who who? What kind of person would go in and screw this guy's life up? Who would do that? What would be your intent to go in and get a beer out of the damn refrigerator? What kind of person does that? So anyway, before I really get pissed off, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. Thank you so much for listening. to lawyers are assholes.